Doc's sunflowers and bananas might look good in yellow, but your car, well, not so much. You can wash away pesky pollen this spring at Tidal Wave Auto Spa for as low as $10. Just stop by any of Tidal Wave Auto Spa's five Omaha area locations today. Meet Bob. He's a four-time tire rotation champion. When he was a baby, his first words were automatic transmission fluid. Bob's so cool, he has engine coolant running through his veins. And then there's Kyle, also known as premium unleaded. Legend has it that Kyle can change your oil with his toes and that he can tell your tire's air pressure just by how you're walking. He's Bob, he's Kyle, and every Saturday morning, they morph together to form the greatest superhero known to man, Mr. Mechanic. Check engine lights don't stand a chance. This is the Mr. Mechanic Show on 1110 KFAB. Hello, good Saturday morning to you. This is the Mr. Mechanic Show. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in. Get in early so we can answer your questions, get you back out to the garage or the driveway, wherever you're going to fix your car, and uh, get it fixed. So uh, we're at Buchanan Service Centers, 50th and Dodge, 80th and Dodge. Guaranteed breaks, 49th Avenue and Dodge. We're on Dodge. Stop in, see us. We'll help you out with the problems you got going on. It's getting to be that season where we're getting cars out as far as uh, – you know, the classic cars, and, and we work on a few of those. You know, we don't do any major rebuilds on them anymore. But we, you know, we'll help you keep that classic car going. Or if you got a problem with it, we still got a few guys that uh, kind of dabble in that stuff and some that are old enough to know how to set points still. I'm one of them. Kyle's another one. Yeah. You know, uh, most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of mechanics will look at you and say, uh, how do you set points? Yeah, what's that? Well, you know, and the electronic is nice to stick electronic in there and be done with it and everything else. But that takes some, some, some skill, uh, some skill to wire Most things up. Most of it's getting pretty easy anymore. Yeah. They're, they're, they're coming out with the systems that were, t- t- they're kind of rudimentary. Now they're getting to the point where it's kind of plug and play. It's still, you got to be careful when you pull the wow. distributor to get it back in where it's supposed to be. Otherwise you just got to hold. Never goes in right the first time. No, no, I don't. Here's the key. I'll give you the key. Okay. Mark it before you take it out. I've done that many times, and it still doesn't go in right. <laughs> there are so many things on a car repair that if you marked it when you took it out, it goes back to exactly the way it was when it was that way. I've gotten that way with EcoBoost timing belts. Yeah, you just you just mark your reference. It's it's not it's not yeah. it's not any shame. There's just a lot is, going on. That is not a keyed engine. Yeah. Yeah, there's you take that balancer off and everything's going wherever it wants to go. Yeah, and a keyed engine will. Uh, what that means is that it there's marks everywhere and you got lock keys that hold everything in place and the only thing that holds things together is just a tapered, you know, Volkswagen used to do that too, just a tapered mm-hmm. shaft and a nut. Mm-hmm. Well, you pull that off, now it can go anywhere. So uh, a little bit of marking, and, and it, that goes for any kind of repair you do. You know, put a rear differential seal in. You know, mark that pinion nut. Before you take it off, get some paint. You know, go buy the cheap paint, you know, touch-up paint, whatever, brightest color you can find. Yeah. So that when you go, you know, replace that seal and you go back to put it back together, well, you put it back exactly where that mark told you to put it back together because that was where the torque was prior to you pulling it apart. If you go hammer it on another half a turn, well, guess what you did? You just Change cru- your pinion angle, crush your sleeve. Yep, crush your sleeve, change the pinion angle. It's going to sound like crap here and about uh you know thousand miles and the rear ends out yeah. so then you get to put gears in it 
Then you could put gears in it. So you took a $50 repair into a $2,500 repair all because you didn't mark it. So that's that's the one thing I, that I could, for all you guys that kind of work on your cars and, you know, on the side is, is there's no shame into marking it. And, you know, when you're done, just take a little bit of carburetor cleaner, scrub it off. Mm-hmm. You don't even know it was there. Yeah. But at least you got a reference. Whenever and, you take a steering wheel off, most of them, most of the newer cars I've seen, they are marked. Right. Right. And but Wait. even the older ones, mark them. You know, when you take a picture is great too. But if you take a picture of a rear differential pinion, see, uh, the pinion nut, there's no mark there. So there's you, no reference. There's no reference. It's just you took a great picture. You got a one in five chance, <laughs> a one in six chance. <laughs> exactly. That's why, you know, you could probably mark it and take a picture. That would be even better because, you know, you get, you get interrupted, to, you know. In the middle of your car repair, you got to scoot out from underneath the car to go mow the lawn or do something that your wife told you that you had to go do that you didn't get done and didn't figure she'd notice, and now she's mad, and you got to go do it before you can proceed on with your stuff so that yeah, you got this, some peace and quiet to get your stuff done. This past weekend, I was off, as everybody knows, because I wasn't here, yes. so I was found myself in a lull where I had nothing to do, so I was going through my phone, looking through pictures, and deleting 90% of them. Because right. It's just car repair. You take a picture before you take something apart, and you know how it goes back together. Yes. Because sometimes I take something apart, and it might be a week before it goes back together. Yeah, yeah. And certain things you need to know, they have to be right. Yeah, they do. And you get interrupted a lot during the day trying to help somebody else or you know, go to this car or answer the phone or something like that. It's just a lot of interruptions. And you, it just Why try to remember all that? There's, there's no reason. So... So uh, here, here's an article, and, and I thought most of this stuff was done, but I guess apparently not. BMW in, in has a – they got some Takata airbags in some of their vehicles, okay? So uh, mm. they're, they're kind of putting – BMW has kind of put out there a don't drive kind of thing. So they're saying these, these airbags probably for the most part haven't been redone or taken in and gotten redone from this airbag Takata thing that happened – Oh, a long time ago. Well, GM didn't GM get a lot of those? Yeah, they did. And you they've know, been recalling the trucks. I know Honda got a lot of them. Ford got a lot of them. I mean, in fact, there was something not too long ago uh, that there were some deaths where the 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 airbags going off, you know, accidentally k- killed some people, and they just had one in a, I think it was either a Honda or a Ranger. I don't remember which one it was, but down south, mm-hmm. and this has more to do down south uh, with some of the maybe humidity, but you know, we got humidity up here. And this happened probably three months ago. So it's still a real danger. So anyway, if you have one of those vehicles, uh, some of the 2000 to 06 BMWs, there's a website you can go to. It's, it's nashta.com, which is N-H-T-S-A.com. Uh, just look at or look up recalls on Google, and it'll take you to a site. And then you can just plug in your VIN number. It's easy. Just go get your insurance card, plug it in there, and they'll find out if you've got any problems with that particular car. And uh, it, it's a it's a cool website to go, and I check every once in a while because car manufacturers will issue a recall, and you know it'll go up on this website, and if it's a big enough deal, you'll see it on there. Mm-hmm. But you don't know they, they don't, don't always send you a letter in the mail. They don't always send you a letter in the mail. No, they don't. And it's I mean, if they did, it could be constant all the time. So I tell you, uh, you know, here was another article too that I found that was very interesting, I thought. What is the the longest running vehicles out there, you know, by mileage? Um, 
and or just kind of going down the list. Let's see here. What This is just kind of a list of the longest run. There's not really in order for the most part. Toyota 4Runner, Chevy Silverado 2500 HD, so the kind of the, the upper models. Mm-hmm. You know, another 2500 GMC to Tacoma, Pilot, F-250, Sequoia, Tundra, Land Cruiser, F-350 Super Duty. So these are all vehicles that are clearly easily make for the most part 250,000 miles okay so that's not you know that's pretty good bet you know mm-hmm. we, we were kind of going through our minds of through the through the stations just which ones are, are, are that they're having the highest mileage so it's kind of hard to really put a i mean because around here a lot of times we'll see cars rot out underneath before the engine ever gives up yep that's true <laughs> that's true a lot of cars and, like that and, and some are made cheaply because they are cheap and they don't really expect to get that much out of it. Yeah. When you buy a car that's $15,000, you are absolutely babying that thing if you're going to think it's going to get two fifty. Yeah. But if you buy something The second it needs an engine, that thing's going. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cost outweighs. That, that's kind of why we don't like some of the Nissan products is because of the transmission problems they have. When you go, the transmission goes out and it's a five to $8,000 repair for a new transmission and you haven't taken very good care of that car... And There's it's, no point in it. And it's worth four. What do you do? You know, most any other cars that are worth $4,000, you can put transmission in. Yeah. But it's just, it's a terrible situation to have, to put yourself in. So, and you don't know that you're putting yourself in it until the transmission goes out. But we were talking a little bit about the, the mileage. So we have a, a Suburban out there that went about 450,000 miles. I think you said only had one engine mm-hmm. in that particular time. Uh, an F-350 that's got 460,000 miles on it. And we're still servicing these vehicles. Um, but it has both engine and transmission in their original. Got an F-350 Super Duty uh, with the original transmission in it. We, mm-hmm. we service that about every year. Yeah. So uh, to try to kind of keep everything. It had one engine in it because head gaskets went out and you had to pull the engine in order to service it. So it's figured like, eh, let's just toss the motor in it. So that engine didn't necessarily fail. It could no. have been repaired. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. But mm-hmm. it was leaking there, and you got to pull it all out anyway. And if we're there, why not? let's put a different engine in it, and let's see if we can run it to 450. And that's where it is. It's 450 and counting. That's something. That's a car we work on all the time. And another one we work on all the time is uh, Toyota Sequoia, which is right about 320, mm-hmm. 340, I think it is. And And they all fix them, and they just keep them going. Sure. They, they just they like the cars and why not keep them going and, and keep them out there. So I'm sure there's other ones out there. If if some of you guys got it, and these are kind of all in town cars and they do take them out on the highway. But if somebody out there has got it's got ones that beaten that, give us a call five five eight eleven ten and we'll uh, talk about that just a little bit too. So all right, you know it's it's going to be a kind of a, a dreary day a little bit. But I think it's going to burn off and you should be able to get out there and do some. I think tomorrow's supposed to be sunny. Yeah, 83 today, 80, 86 tomorrow. So you, you get your project started, yeah, piddle it around with a little bit today and finish the rest up tomorrow. Yeah. All right, 558-1110 is the numbers to get in, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. Yo, to all the other mechanics out there, I only got one thing to say. If you ain't Mr. Mechanic, all you need to know is you can't fix this. My, 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 my mechanic works on my car, makes me drive oh so far. 
jet ski or your entire pressure No matter what the type of weather It feels good when you don't break down I jump in my ride and I drive all around Every Saturday I call Mr. Mechanic Fix it all And to the rest I don't mean to diss But you can't fix this Yo homeboy I told you You can't fix this Nobody but Mr. Mechanic you can't fix this. You're not even holding the right tools. You can't fix this. Stop. Air hammer time. The Mr. Mechanic Show is brought to you by Buchanan Service Center. Professionally fixed right and fixed on time. Two locations, 79th and Dodge and 50th and Dodge in Omaha. Back on the Mr. Mechanic Show, 558-1110. We're going to shoot right into the calls. Go with Terry. Terry's got a 23 Silverado. Terry, what's going on? What kind of questions you got? Yeah, I'm uh, thinking about trading my 2020 for a 23. Okay. And what's the? what do you guys think about the new 10-speed transmission, the 2.7 motor, and that new dash layout in the 23s or any opinions? I liked it. Go ahead. I mean, not really a lot of experience with it yet. Is it good? Is it bad? Or do you just like it aesthetically? I like the new dash layout. Uh, the 10-speed transmission, I do like. Um, it, it, it's interesting driving. It's interesting shifting it um, because it'll skip shifts. It'll go 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, or, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4. It just kind of depends on the throttle pressure that you have or you're downshifting and blah, 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 blah. But it seems at this particular point, there's not any major problems, uh, any shuddering and stuff like they had with the eight-speed. Um, as far as the two, what, what about the, what about the two-seven motor? I don't know. That's that's new. Yeah, time's gonna tell. About four years, you'll know for sure. Um, you know, it used to be when you used to put a four-cylinder turbo, and that's what it is, isn't it? Four-cylinder. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You put a four-cylinder. And put a turbo on a four-cylinder back 20 years ago it, it turbo was going to leak and you're going to the rods are going to go out of the bottom of it and the mains yeah. are going to go out uh, now it seems like the the tolerances are so tight the oil is so tight the the engine has been built much much better to handle that turbo and that's really what it was they just took an engine back in the old days threw a turbo on it and expected <laughs> it to last now they're saying i'm going to put a turbo on this car let's make it last um, I, I don't know. I've not seen a 2.7. 2.7 is kind of new, along mm-hmm. with that 3-liter eco diesel that they have out, too, which is uh, a lot of power, I hear. Um, but with any diesel, it's expensive to fix. So it, you kind of yeah. really need to use it. I mean, you're getting – what makes you want to go towards a four-cylinder a turbo? Just because they're offering incentives on it? or No, I I'm actually want the 5.3 – which I have found a couple, but uh, some of the salespeople are pushing the two sevens, and wow, that's I'm, I'm think 
I think I'm going to go with the five three, but I would. Yeah, I five threes tested. We know about it. Great motor. Yep, and and I would yep. even go up to the six two. Sure. I went to the six two many years ago, and uh, I just you, you have to you have to sacrifice a little bit of gas mileage. Uh, but the six two's got plenty of power. So if you've 420 horsepower so if you're pulling anything hauling anything the 6.2 is the way to go just put some tape over the gas mileage so you don't see that yeah don't worry about that yeah yeah i had a six liter in 03 but that's that's different the 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 now with the 10-speed transmission you're getting up with a 6.2 you're getting up into the 19 to 23 miles per gallon which is great for that big a motor you know okay yeah, yeah. no i just do some okay. more research you know i I, I, I'm not saying that the 27 is uh, bad at all. It might be a great motor. It's um, I think just it's too early to, to give you any definitive answer on that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go up 5.3, but I just wanted to see good batter otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Appreciate the call, Terry. All right, we're going to head over to uh, Larry. Larry's got the 1990 show. Larry, what's going on? Yeah, good morning. Say, I've got a problem with it idling like at 2,000 RPM after it gets re- after it gets warm. You stop at the light, and it just revs to, to the moon. It's 2,000 RPM almost on the tack. Mm. wonder what I should check for. We have plugged surging? the idle air bypass, and it just made it run lousy. Plugged it back in, it made it run fine. So I don't think it's that. Well... Typically, on, on a, any fuel-injected car, which that is, your, your idle speed control motor is what gives you idle. Idle. So you take that idle motor off, shove a rag over that, and hold a lot of pressure on it and have somebody start it. See if it'll idle with that thing totally off the car. Don't lift your hand off the car for any reason because your idle is going to go through the roof. But, right. I mean, hold something on there to block that vacuum port. I use a rag. And see if it'll idle then. I mean, you might get a low idle, but mm-hmm. see if it'll idle. If it doesn't, then I would be looking for vacuum leaks. Exactly. So the, the way any fuel injection car works with that, at least in that era anyway, is that that idle speed control motor, the more the pintle comes out, the higher the air, uh, the RPM goes. The farther in that pintle goes and shuts that airflow off, the lower the idle goes. Now, if that's all working properly... Then, like Kyle said, you've got an air leak somewhere else, like on an intake manifold or a vacuum hose or something EGR that's EGR valve. EGR valve. Common. Yep, something that's sucking air somewhere else um, in order to making that idle go. Because what the computer counts on and checks and needs to know is all the air that comes through the air filter through the throttle body. That's all metered air. And that the engineers have said, okay, all the air that enters the engine that way, we can c- account for and control. Mm-hmm. If it comes from somewhere else, we don't know about that. So mm-hmm. that that's how that's made, and that's that's why it's that way. On newer cars, there's not really an idle speed control motor because it's all run by the the electronic throttle body. Yep. Where it opens and closes just a, a finite amount in order to give you a thousand RPM, or it it kicks it open a little bit when you turn the air conditioning on. To give you eleven hundred RPM, for example. So, okay. Or you know, you if you take a little bit of carburetor cleaner, a little bit of brake clean, you can kind of spray down the intake, see if it speeds up a little bit more, 
and that will tell Be you. Sure, say, your ignition system is good, and mm-hmm. the engine is cool when you do this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Don't, <laughs> don't be spraying it on a hot engine, or if you do, make sure you got a fire extinguisher somewhere close because flash, okay. flash, flash fires happen, don't they, Kyle? They do. More than once. Yeah, I've lost several sets of eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> i've lost low. some arm hair yeah. you've been around here long enough working on cards you'll do that so uh yeah we always keep it several we don't use a fire extinguisher hardly at all but when you need it you yeah, need to know where it's it. at so all right larry try well, thank that thank you very much you bet appreciate it appreciate the call all right uh five five eight eleven tens the numbers that uh, get in and we'll be back in a minute all right we are back on the Mr. Mechanic Show. Let's fix some cars. Uh, we're going to head over to, where are we at? Larry. Larry. Larry's got a 13 Tundra. Larry, what's going on? Okay, thanks for call. Um, have a 2013 Toyota Tundra with uh, about 162,000 miles on it. Been flawless to this point. Just driving on a gravel road the other day. And uh, the four-low indicator came on and it was flashing. And uh, check engine light and traction off or a permanent stay on uh drives fine uh about a week later or a couple days later i took it to an independent shop in town here it has a good reputation and they found codes po171 and po174 lean codes they checked those found no leaks causing lean codes uh, short and long-term fuel trims were within spe- specifications, and then they saw, said they found a technical service bulletin talking about replacing a bunch of parts in the fuel pump and computer and reprogramming. Uh, they said, well, maybe you should take it to a Toyota dealership because uh, they just didn't want to be going about re- replacing things that need to be replaced. So that local one is about 60 miles away. And basically found the same thing, uh, just said it needed a new fuel pump. But why aren't there some kind of issues with sputtering or not starting? It, I mean, absolutely runs uh, perfect. Well, because it's your fuel trim is there's set parameters yeah. to how rich or how lean that fuel trim can go before you start sputtering yeah. and running lean. So for, it's obvious. Yeah, for example, that that uh, the pressure on that is 60 psi on that fuel pump, and it's only doing 50. 50. It, it's enough for the computer to catch that it's not putting enough fuel in there to do that, and it's not really having an issue with you as far as driving. Now, when it gets down to 35, you're going to have a problem. It just depends on when it is. It just hasn't come out. The computer is, is more sophisticated now to be able to detect those problems, and there's not really a fuel pump code. That, that monitors fuel pressure to say, hey, that fuel pump is bad. It'd be nice if they had one of those, wouldn't it? They do on a new car with well, direct injection. Yeah, yeah, for for, yeah, for, for direct, you, you need that when you're bumping pressure up. But back in those days, they don't. So, yeah, it's just seeing a lean condition because Kyle's exactly right. Every sensor operates within certain parameters. And if it's outside that parameter for any length of time, the check engine light comes on. If it goes back inside that parameter then the light goes out. That's what often happens a lot of times to uh, oxygen sensors. So, And, you know, when they put these cars out there, a lot of times uh, they put them out as the best of their ability at that particular time of production. Once it gets a few miles on it and they see that some people are having problems with this or that, then they'll update the computer or flash it 
and takes those problems away. Sometimes you can update a computer and take all those problems away by an update and never need parts. So that that's a possibility. But that's that's kind of why, that's in a nutshell, kind of why that, that does that. Okay. Um, interestingly, about uh, this last week, the codes don't come back on again, and it's done that once before uh, during this time period. They were off, and then they come back on, and they're off again. Now, is that kind of normal also? For a fuel yep. pump, sure. Sure. It's just a pump. You know, we've had cars die on the road. You tow them in, they start up and run fine. I can't tell you how many back in the mid Chevrolet days when the what the 2000s and stuff, and people would pull up the gas pump, fill the tank, tank. fill up the tank, and the car wouldn't start at the pump. That was the last time that that pump moved was when they shut it off, and of course they ran it low, and it didn't like it at all in that particular pump. And we'd push them around and put a fuel pump in them. I I don't know how many times we must have done that. Quite a few. Dozens of times. Dozens of times. Or you can hit them with a hammer, and sometimes they'll go. So here's your options, if you'd like. Um, this is an old trick that a lot of people have done. Take a little bit of two-cycle oil, maybe a cap full, something like that. Don't overdo it. Uh, pour a little bit of that uh, cap full down the uh, the neck of the when you're putting gas in, and then put gas in, and, the, and that, that two-cycle oil in there, just a little bit of it will help lubricate that pump, and maybe that gets a little longer down the road the other possibility here is go ahead and update it and see if the update takes out your problem as far as uh readjusting the parameters and basically readjusting the parameters means they just took it from a small amount to a larger amount to open the parameters so the light doesn't come on third steps put a fuel pump in it or you can do it both at the same time just depends on how you want to do it Interestingly enough, the Toyota dealership quoted about $350 for the Toyota fuel pump, but they're back-ordered. They said they could get aftermarkets for over 1000 Is that kind of unusual? Yeah, not in today's world. No. No. You're, I, there's only a finite amount of parts, and I think everybody's fighting over them. So supply and demand is uh, pushing where it's at. If you're not having a problem, put it on order through Toyota. I mean, that's basically what we did, and uh, so I suppose I could get stranded, but so far uh, I've been fortunate, yes. Yeah, well, like I said, put that, do that trick. Throw a little bit of two-cycle oil in there, just about a cap full. That should help lubricate that pump a little bit, and you've got 20, 25 gallons worth of fuel to, to help lubricate it. Excellent. Thanks so much. I'll give it a try. Appreciate it. You bet. Have a good day. Appreciate the call. All right, we're going to head over to Tom. Tom's got a follow-up on a Toyota pickup. Tom, what's going on? Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. A couple of weeks ago, and I apologize for not getting back to you as soon as I've been out of town, you had a uh, lady who called in, had about a 25- or 30-year-old Toyota pickup truck with carburation issues, and she was debating with you guys whether to send it off to one of the last remaining carburetor rebuilders, I think it was clear on North Carolina and so forth, mm-hmm. and you yep. asked her a bunch of questions, and uh, suggested she, she, she go in and do that, which under her circumstances, this truck was still great, uh, made sense. But part of your, part of your uh, recommendations at the time uh, were just, hey, you need to switch to premium fuel to avoid uh, and avoid ethanol at all costs. The only problem with that suggestion is just because something – I'm looking around get all the gas stations in town and everywhere. Just because something is labeled premium doesn't mean it's not an ethanol blend. Right. Uh, most, of these, most of these refineries, it's cheaper to raise the octane uh, with ethanol than it is to refine straight pure gas. So you really have to be careful. 
And uh, I would have also recommended that while she's sending that thing off for two to three two to three weeks to have the carburetor rebuilt and sent back, um, to have, have her drop the tank, have her flush out the tank while that's being off being R and R'd. Uh, and then, since that's carbureted rather than fuel injected, that's not high pressure. Put a put a nice, real big, massive inline fuel filter in there while while waiting for the carburetor to come back. Yeah, how does that sound? It should have a fuel filter in it for sure. Um, and if you see any debris, then that's probably when I would pull the tank. I'm not pulling the tank arbitrarily. Um, if I see something in a in a clear fuel filter that's plugging things up, you bet I'm pulling the tank. But I'm not going yeah. through all the effort to pull the tank if it's already clean and I don't see anything in a fuel filter. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Both of our both of our gas stations run uh, 91 clear, which means no ethanol. Right. So right. That's, yeah. That's yeah. Why, so, but, but not, but but not everybody does that. You really, really have to read what's on the pump and then uh, you take do. a leap of faith sometimes. You do have to read what's on the pump, and most people don't read what's on the pump. They pick up a diesel and exactly. they don't they don't pay attention to it. But you're right. There <laughs> there there is uh, 91 out there that's got ethanol in it. And if you read the pump, like I said, most people don't pay attention to that. They just grab the cheapest and off they go. Then, yes, you do have ethanol in that. And that's some stations will do that. We don't do that. We've never done that. First of all, we're, we're branded BP, and that's why we do it. But we run 91 clear for a lot of those people out there that have those high-end cars that want 91 clear and or run that in your lawnmowers and everything else. And that's why we've always really done it. Yeah, that's so, very important with two-cycle engines because ethanol, with being a desiccant, is a lousy lubricant. Yeah, and we've just seen it over the years. Kyle and I have pulled apart, I don't know how many, uh, thousand at least carburetors in our career and just see what the ethanol does to the... Rots right through the bottom of the bowl. Right through the bottom of the bowl. It just expl- It doesn't do it right away. It, it just It's a, a, a slow progression over a period of time. It just eats that aluminum away, just expands everything and just makes it go bad. So... Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of that. You, you bet. And and hopefully hey, keep she, up the good work. Yeah, I appreciate you listening, Tom. Appreciate you listening. All right, we're going to take a quick break on the Mister Mechanic Show. We'll be back in a minute. Mister Mechanic Show five five eight eleven ten. You can in service centers, eightieth and Dodge, fiftieth and Dodge, guaranteed breaks, 49th Avenue and Dodge. Stop in and see us. We're going to head over to Bob, uh, two thousand two Jeep Cherokee. Bob, what's going on today? Hey, this is your old buddy Bob. I thought hey, it was I, you. I know. I, uh, I know that Kyle loves these uh, blend doors on these Jeeps. Yeah. Hey, uh, where's the actuator for the driver's side on that one? On a 2002 Cherokee. Under the dash. Yeah. So you got dual zone. It's either going to be underneath the center of the box. Kind of, you have to take the console out, and it's clear up underneath. You probably can't see it. There's that style, and then there's another one. It'll be kind of on the top side of the box, but you can access it through the glove box if you take say, all that out. I was going to say if you access it through the glove box. Which one doesn't work? Just the you got well, dual zone. The, the, yeah, dual zone. Okay. On the driver's side. All right. Working. Okay. But uh, I'm, I want to say on noise. Up around the gas pedal, okay, in that area, ish. Well, yeah, there's there's one there, and then there's there's also another one by the glove box. Uh-huh. Yeah, but Definitely. I I know it, uh, on YouTube it said something that the passenger side was down 
around the con underneath the console or something. Right. Yeah, and then there's so, one weird one that they put in there with the door wasn't eccentric, so you just had one for both. Right. That's going to be probably your uh, mode door, isn't it? No, this is the, actually the blend door. Oh, the blend. Okay, all right. And it'll turn one on one way, and then the, there's a split shaft in the middle of them that breaks, and the driver's side will always fail because that's the far side of the shaft. Got it. And Got it. I know that there's a YouTube video that'll walk you through. You got to cut the face of the box off and then pull that out, oh. and you can get the whole thing. Otherwise, I mean, you're pulling the entire dash and doing everything. But somebody made a video of how to go around that. But uh, yeah, it ain't going. Yeah, there's always a video of how to go around it versus doing it right. Yeah, and right <laughs> for years and years and years, I pulled the entire dash to replace that rod. But um, yeah, now there's a video of how to cut the box apart with a sawzall and. Yeah, <laughs> same like the the video where you cut the gas, you you measure your, your everything in the back of the of the bed of the truck, and then you cut it out, and there's your fuel pump you can pull in and out. Yeah, I'm not that brave. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of where it's at. It's you know, if you find a schematic, and, and it's hard to remember all those cars and where they where they're at, and but usually, right. Yeah. Usually the blend door or the or the the mode actuators above the gas pedal in that area. Um, I, I know there's a one over by the, the glove box where you kind of go in there, too. And, and like, I, I agree with Kyle. The other one's kind of up underneath it a little bit. So, mm -hmm. yeah, try that. It's a fun it's, job. It yeah, really... it's, uh, it's making there's – make, there's noise coming out of there without the any power going to it that kind of like, got me. Like a clicking uh, noise? Uh, yeah, almost like a, a self-mind yeah. Yeah. Well, so that, reach under there and you can put your hand on each motor you can find and you'll find the one that's broke. There you go. That, that, now now yeah. we got noises. Anytime you got noises, that's a whole lot easier. So yeah, exactly what Kyle said. Yeah. Put your hand up there, find it, and then you know which one it is and you can tackle your job from there. But basically everything in there except for a little bit of wire and winding, <coughs> it's all plastic. So you got those plastic gears that are over It's stripped out and yep. it's trying to find it thinks because that motor has to turn until the other gear stops it. And since it's stripped out, it never stops it. Right. So you're catching the end of that gear. Right. Don't buy Don't buy the cheapest one either. Because no. don't, you don't want to do it twice. But <laughs> yeah, buy, well, buy one I'm, not, I'm, not tearing the, I'm not tearing the dash out. I'll just open up the windows. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, bring it down. We'll take care of it for you, Bob. We'll, we'll open it up. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I've done a million of them. I can do one more. Yeah, we can do Just one more. You. Yep. Yep. Oh. <laughs> okay, guys. When right. I hit the lottery, I'll bring it to you. Okay. Appreciate the Thanks. Appreciate the call, Bob. Yeah, some of those, uh, boy, we just had a Lincoln Town Car part the other day, and that's exactly what you Is had to do. Is that the one on top of the box you pull the dash back and have to get yeah, Well, it? yeah, we pulled the entire dash out of this car, and uh, then you got two of them that are right on the box there, and then you flip the dash upside down on the bench, and they got two of them over there. So there's four of them total because it would only stay on the floor. It wouldn't go to the vent. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go to the defrost, and then it wouldn't switch from side to side. So we had a total of one upper one, one one lower one that was bad, two lower ones, one upper one. Well, we're going to put one more in for, you know, Might as well. 60, not? 70 bucks. We're going to put one more in because not two is crazy because <laughs> you, you get, you know, you got too much labor to pull apart this thing once. So, uh, yeah, put it all back together. Works great. It's just, and there's five of them underneath there. 
We, we did not do the recirculation door because that's a whole other mess. Those that you, you can normally get to. Yeah. Without taking normal. Well, it's, yeah. Once you pull the whole dash out of there, and it kind of looks like a bomb went off anytime you pull the dash out of something. It's, it's amazing. You're it just, definitely committed. You're, Either you're going to finish this job or junk the car. <laughs> pretty much. That's where you're at. Once it's that pretty much. Out. Well, he, he pulled it all apart. He got it done. It's all working beautiful. It's uh, just a lot of work. It's, it would be nice if it was 15, 20 minutes. And they certainly could make it that way. You bet they can. But they don't want to. But no. that's okay. I've been writing letters. <laughs> well, you need to mail them. That's part of your problem. You're writing them, and you're just not mailing them. Oh, they're getting mailed. All right. All right. All right. Sounds like another end of another hour. Quick, fast hour, Kyle. We made it. We made it. 558-1110 is the numbers to get in next week. Get in early so we can answer your questions before we get to the end of the hour. I'm Bob. Kyle. We'll see you next week. yellow pollen on your car is more than just annoying. It has acidic properties that can damage your car's paint, undercarriage, and interior. At Tidal Wave Auto Spa, our washes remove pollen, and our high-tech Graphex 4 wash provides four layers of advanced protection that actually help prevent pollen from sticking to your car. Clean, protect, and catch the happy wave at any of Tidal Wave Auto Spa's five Omaha area locations. Visit TidalWaveAutoSpa.com to find one near you.